0: All of us were shocked and saddened this week by the horrific tragedy at the Boston Marathon where bombs exploded on Monday near the finish line, killing three people and injuring 170. We witnessed uh, a scene of shattered glass and severed limbs that terrorized the city and the nation. Particularly poignant was that uh, Monday was Patriots Day, a holiday that's unique to the New England area that brings the region's rich history alive. For the city's children, it meant a day off school. It was the beginning of spring break for them. And for the 27,000 runners from around the world, uh, the the day represented uh, the capstone, as it were, of months of preparing to test their body and spirit. But on this day of collective celebration and exaltation, our sense of security and trust was rattled to its core once again. And... Uh, our heads were just shaking in unbelief. We, we likely gasped at our sense of vulnerability. Thankfully, of course, the law enforcement agencies have have done a great job at apprehending the one living suspect. But what are we supposed to make of these things? Uh, let me take just a few moments to contextualize a, a few comments before we share uh, our reflections on baptism. Well, those of us who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus look to our teacher for insight and understanding. And there is one occasion in Luke's gospel where Jesus actually addressed the issue of a national tragedy. In Luke 13, uh, we read this. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So I think it's interesting that Jesus did not use the occasion of either a national tragedy, the murder of religious practitioners in their house of worship, or a natural disaster, the collapse of a tower that resulted in the loss of 18 lives. He didn't use these as as an occasion to offer a theological explanation of good and evil. Rather, he simply acknowledged that the events occurred He assured the audience it wasn't because of God's specific judgment. That is, they weren't any more or less deserving to die than you are. And then uh, he just pointed people to reflect on their personal responsibility to God. He says, you'll perish too unless you repent for your sin and turn to God. And so Jesus takes these very real and very significant issues of theological, and philosophical and existential concern. You know, that the issues of good and evil that swirl around our head. And he drills them down right where we live in asking us to deal with uh, how are we related to God. That's the way he deals with these kinds of issues. He says, you'll all stand before God in desperate need of his mercy and forgiveness. And so what are you going to do? Now, Monday's tragedy was a painful reminder uh, of the reality of evil as we saw mankind's capacity to inflict incredible harm, destruction on others. Uh, But at the same time, it powerfully displayed goodness in action, too, didn't it? Many of us were... We're thrilled to see the first responders, the police and rescue uh, workers, the civilians who came to the aid of of the distressed and injured, and then the the doctors and the nurses and the hospital staff that cared for the wounded, and the Bostonians who reached out in love and compassion by opening their homes, their apartments, their restaurants, their places of business to the thousands who uh, were without a hotel or a flight or food or means of communication. And so in a way, these people had already answered Jesus's question of what are you going to do uh, in the presence of evil. They had already settled the issue. They were going to reach out to others in mercy and compassion. And so until Jesus comes again, as he predicted he would at the end of the age, uh, the world remains a mixture of good and bad, light and darkness, without explanation, but with an invitation to make our lives count by loving God and loving others. Now, this morning, we're privileged to witness the public profession of 11 people who have decided to answer Jesus' question by turning from sin and selfishness and fully following him. And they're celebrating this life-changing decision in water baptism. And we're just thrilled that we get to be a part of it. So let's pray. Lord, we bow our heads and hearts before you at the start of this brand new day, this brand new week. We say you are good all the time, and we're grateful, God, for life and breath and soundness of mind, health of body. We thank you, God, for every good and perfect gift that comes from you, the Father of lights, in whom there is not a hint or a shadow of turning. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here on the earth as it's done in heaven, and not just in this room, Lord, but right next door in Vineyard Kids and in our communities, Lord. We we just welcome your kingdom to come in all the ways that you know we need. We honor your presence here today. We say, welcome, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, healthy families celebrate, don't they? Whether it's an anniversary, a birthday, a graduation, a promotion, hey, making the honor roll, you know, Families celebrate, and we do that in lots of different ways. Well, God's family has been celebrating uh, for thousands of years now, and in the Old Testament era, God specifically commanded that his people punctuate their life with a weekly Sabbath, no work, only rest, and then with three annual one-week celebrations called feasts, where they would gather with family and friends, they would eat, they would sing, they would worship, and they would express thanks to God for his blessing and favor in their lives. And then ever since the beginning of the church nearly 2,000 years ago, God's people have continued to celebrate his work in their lives. We gather together once a week to worship as a community, and we gather together in, 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 in through the course of the week in smaller groups more intimate settings to both encourage and pray for one another, as you already heard Ruth describe. And when the church is gathered in both its large and small groups, communion and water baptism are practiced as part of the celebration. And these are both very simple but very powerful symbolic acts that commemorate God's work in our lives. Now, we've just read Jesus's invitation in the Gospel of Luke to repent of our sins and turn to God. To repent, uh, while it's a $25 religious word, what it really means is just that we stop, we reevaluate everything in life, and then we turn from sin and self-centeredness to follow Jesus. That's what repentance really means. And then Jesus says that at that point our life story consciously intersects the story that God has already been writing in our lives. We become a follower of Jesus as he makes us brand new. And then he instructs us to commemorate this change by being water baptized. That is, we're to announce this decision to the world. Now, we unpacked the deeper meaning and symbolism of water baptism, and all the related questions that swirl around it in a message I shared last week. If you're at all interested, you can hear that on our podcast by visiting our website, the address is in your program, or by picking up a brochure about water baptism at the info center on your way out, if you're curious. But today, we're celebrating. We're celebrating with the 11 people who, in their water baptism, are pointing to three life-changing truths that I'd like to share with you right now. The first is that we are loved by God. This is the most profound and powerful news in all the world. God is good, and he loves us. Now, the Bible declares this life-changing truth with these words that you've likely heard, or perhaps even memorized, from the Gospel of John, the third chapter, where we read, Jesus said, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God created everything good. He placed the earth's original couple, Adam and Eve, into a beautiful garden in Eden where they had everything they could possibly imagine. God was their source of life, love, significance, security, provision, all in God. But Adam and Eve deliberately disobeyed God when they yielded to the original temptation. They ate the forbidden fruit, and at that moment, sin entered the cosmos, the whole world system, and following right behind it came the curse of disease and decay and death. Mankind was now separated from God, perishing, as it were, and under a sentence of physical, spiritual, and eternal death. But God, right there in the garden, initiated a plan of restoration where he would set everything back to right. And then through the centuries, as as it unfolded, God's spokesmen, the prophets, pointed to a new day when God's kingdom would would come to the earth through the Messiah, whose arrival would announce the dawn of a new age. And then, at just the right time, God sent his son Jesus as the concrete expression of his inexhaustible, never-ending love. His love and compassion for all people everywhere, in order that he might reconcile all people back to himself. Now, Jesus framed his mission this way. The thief, or Satan's purpose, is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. So the work of our enemy, Satan, has always been to steal, kill, and destroy through sickness, and disease, and disaster, and injustice, and oppression, and war, and famine, and accident, and calamity, and then an eternity of separation from God. But Jesus, think of him as the God with skin on, brought real life, the rich and satisfying life, as he forgave sin and healed the sick, and delivered the demonized, and freed people who were oppressed, and he encouraged the marginalized, and even raised the dead. Everywhere he went, in his words and his works, Jesus was demonstrating the inexhaustible and never-ending love of God the Father for all people in every age and every culture. The the book of Acts describes Jesus' ministry this way, that he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, Acts 10.38. So Jesus was going about rescuing men and women and children from the grip of Satan and his kingdom, and he restored them into the wholeness of God's order. It's called the kingdom or God's rule, where there was Forgiveness and healing and peace and joy. And then God's love found its crowning expression in the cross of Christ. We just celebrated that event in Easter, where Jesus died for the sin of all the world so that everybody could be reconciled to God again. Now, the Apostle Paul described the powerful good news of reconciliation in his letter to the church at Rome, where we read this in Romans 3 beginning in verse 23. You can follow along in your Bible, your Bible app, or the words will be on the screen as well. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood so the bible very simply and very beautifully uh, declares that we're made right with god by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are romans 3:22 so the 11 people today are announcing they've responded to the lavish love of Jesus. They believe in him, and consequently, their sin has been forgiven, and they've been made right with God. They're now reconciled. It's important, though, to understand that while God's love is the most powerful news in all the world, it hasn't changed everything, at least yet. There's coming a day when Jesus will recreate the heavens and the earth, and make everything totally new. We're told that in the book of Revelations, the 21st chapter. But until then, we live in the overlapping of two ages, the kingdom of God and this present evil age. And so what that means in this absolutely unique time of human history is that we uh, we live an everyday life that is a strange mixture of good and evil, blessing and cursing, health and sickness, life and death, joy and sorrow, victory and defeat, success and failure, uh, answered prayer and crushing disappointment, addiction and freedom, friendship and loneliness, war and peace, rightness and injustice. And when we look to the events of this past week, or any other week for that matter, that's filled with this strange mixture, you know, we might be tempted to conclude that, well, there is no God, or that if he is, he certainly doesn't know what he is doing, or that he's not loving. But the truth is, we have a personal enemy, the devil, and a real evil kingdom that is at work in the earth today, and all the bad things that happen, they're not God's will, nor are they acts of God. Rather, There's a war going on between two opposing kingdoms. And God's love, that is expressed primarily through His Son, Jesus Christ, is the consistent bright hope against uh, the the darkness of evil and pain and sickness and suffering. Jesus never promised us a trouble-free life. But He does offer us a worry free life of love and joy and peace. Jesus once said this way, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. Matthew 16. And the sooner that we willfully and consciously place our whole life that already belongs to him, back under his care, back under his rule, then the better off we are. And that's what these 11 people, young and old, are going to be doing today. They're signifying and saying in water baptism, God, thanks for your love in Jesus. My life is yours. The second life-changing truth that we're celebrating today is that we matter to God. Now, none of us as kids grew up wishing to be a bum, a drug addict, or a paper shuffler in a dead-end job, did we? I hope not. No, we wanted to live a life of action and, and adventure and impact, maybe as a ballet dancer, or a fireman, or a nurse, or an artist, or a musician, or a movie maker, or a NASCAR driver, maybe a missionary, a, a major league sports hero, or You know, a a truck driver, a teacher, uh, an architect, an astronaut, maybe even the president. We're all born with a a sense of mission. And, And quite frankly, I think this is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Each of us matters to him, and we have a unique destiny to fulfill. We could say it this way, our lives are significant. Now on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed a prayer to God the Father. It's recorded for us in John's Gospel, the 17th chapter. And Jesus prayed this phrase, I brought glory to you, Father, here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus brought God the Father glory when he completed the assignment That he'd been given. Similarly, each of us has a God given work to do on the earth. And like Jesus, I think that each of us has the capacity to bring God the Father glory when we complete the assignment, the absolutely unique assignment that he gives to each one of us. That's what makes us significant. Of course, The $100,000 question that follows, what's the assignment? And how do we know? I'm glad you asked. Because I now want to suggest, not simplistically, but to to suggest to you that each of us actually has two assignments. The first is a general call to fully follow Jesus as a full-time disciple right where we are. Now, please understand this is not to be confused with getting religion, being a faithful church attender, or trying real hard to be a good person, or even identifying your religious preference as Christian on the census. Mm -mm. Those are good things. Should do all that. But our first calling is to actually fully follow Jesus, to grow to be like him in how we think and speak and act, to speak his words, to do his works, and to live his way, to love God, to love others, to extend his kingdom and change the world. That's our first calling. Now, in many respects, all of us, all we could ever do for Jesus, we can do right now, right where you are. You know that? Whether you're a student or a professional, you work in the trades as an electrician or a laborer plumber, an IT specialist, maybe you build websites, maybe you administrate in an office, perhaps you work in retail or, or food service or at Paradise or Caterpillar or healthcare, uh, in Methodist at, or, or OSF. Maybe you own your own business or you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom or you're unemployed or you're underemployed or you're retired or you don't know what you are. All you can do for Jesus, you can do right now, wherever you are. What is that, you ask? Well, you can read the Bible, you can pray, you can develop relationships and share your faith with your non-Christian friends. You can practice the historic disciplines of the faith, like solitude and silence and fasting and worship and fellowship and service and surrender. You can treat your spouse or your Or your children or your family or your roommate or your boyfriend or your girlfriend with warmth and empathy and respect. You can manage your money and your time and your resources in a way that honors God. You can uh, serve the poor and those who are marginalized. You can grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness. You can pray for the sick. You can live generously. You can care for others. You can live morally and and rightly. You can be thankful. You can tell the truth. You can learn to forgive and not hold grudges against people who hurt you. And that'll keep you busy, till Jesus comes back. But you see, when you live this way, when when we are changed in our character and our conduct to to look more and more like Christ, and we are empowered by his indwelling presence to share his kingdom with others. In that way, we, we fulfill our first assignment, our general call. So we, we're halfway there in answering the question, what is my assignment? Well, you fully follow Jesus right where you are. That's our first assignment. The second is a special call that God has on each one of your lives, each one of you that's here today and that's listening to us on our podcast. You see, this call will reflect the heritage, the the history, the education and life experiences that you have, your passions, your natural and spiritual gifts, your personality and temperament. I like to think of these things together as your life vision, for lack of a better term. And generally, it's expressed in three spheres of influence. These are big words, but the concept is simple. First is vocational. That just means where you work, okay? Uh, where you go to school. What occupies the lion's share of your week? The things that you really love doing. The second sphere of influence is geographic, and that's where you live. Your Bless you. Your your apartment, your condo, your your neighborhood, your street, your city, your village, your town, your suburb. You're going you're gonna to see God's specific call flesh out in your vocation, in your geography, and thirdly, your relational sphere. And that's just the people with whom you do life. The people you have a natural connection with on a regular basis. Now, sometimes our specific calls are real clear. Some of you have known them from the time you were a child others of you uh, were received insight even perhaps supernaturally to what that is and you're now following that that special life call uh for others of us the majority of us they're they're not quite so certain are they clarity for our life vision would emerge slowly Over time, and often in the context of relationships with people we love and trust, which is one of the reasons I believe in the church, because we can actually reflect what we see as the God-given callings on one another. They can change also in the seasons of life. Quite frankly, my wife and I never imagined that we would, uh, start a brand new church by moving to our hometown at an age when most people retire. But being in the center of God's two callings, the general and special call, are the place where we will be most fulfilled and we will discover what Jesus called the rich and satisfying life, the real life, the life of his kingdom. It's like being in the sweet spot. We are where God wants us to be. It's the place of deepest satisfaction, the place where we are the most significant, where we fully understand with every fiber of our being that we matter to God. No one can fulfill the job that God's called for you to do other than you, because there's only one you living in your vocational and geographic and relational spheres of influence. A unique, special call. And today in water baptism, our 11 candidates are saying, Jesus, I want to lean into your unique destiny destiny for my life, and and I want to more fully fulfill my special call. I want to be your full-time disciple. I want to live your unique God-given assignment. And we're celebrating that today. Thanks, Lord, that I matter to you. The third life-changing truth that water baptism celebrates is this. We can trust God. My wife, Tina, and I raised four kids, two girls, two boys. Two of them are with us here today. They're age now 32, 29, 27, 24. And when they were young, uh, they fully expected that I, as their father, would provide everything they needed. Didn't you guys? Yeah. <laughs> the, they never imagined it any other way. That dad would provide a warm, safe, secure home, three square meals a day and lots of snacks between a closet full of clothes, help on their homework, the car or truck keys when they needed it, you know, and later access to a college education. And they still like it when mom and dad pick up the tab when we go out to eat at Avani's, you know. (laughs) Fathers pay the freight. And without stretching the analogy beyond its limit, as God's children, we can trust our Heavenly Father for everything we need in life. To trust him is to confide in him, to rely upon Jesus so as to be secure without fear. It's described for us this way by the author to uh, the book of Psalms, David the psalmist in, in Psalm 31. I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, you are my God, my future is in your hands. Now, specifically, we can trust God to direct us and guide us for life's decisions. Psalm 32.8 says, God promises, I will guide you along the best path for your life. We can trust God, secondly, to be the source of everything we need to fulfill our mission. Food and clothing and health and shelter and material provision. He promises us in the sixth chapter of Matthew, if we seek first his kingdom and his rightness, everything that we need will be added to us. And thirdly, we can trust Jesus to protect us, especially from worry and fear and anxiety. Now, while we are not exempt from anxiety or or from pain and difficulty and trials, as we've already talked today. Jesus does promise us his presence and protection in them. The, The 91st Psalm declares it this way. The Lord says, I'll rescue those who love me. I'll protect those who trust in my name. And when they call upon me, I'll answer. I'll be with them in trouble. I'll rescue them and honor them. I'll reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And so, friends, today, as we join with these uh, 11 brothers and sisters, some young, some old, some in between, we're celebrating. We're celebrating that our deepest needs for love and significance and security are met in Jesus. Why? Because we are loved by God, because we matter to God, and we can trust him. Now, I'd like to say just a few words to those of you who are the candidates for baptism. First, I just want to say I'm grateful to God for you. Uh, that you've responded to God's love, that you've turned from sin and selfishness, uh, that you believed in Jesus, his death, burial and resurrection to reconcile you to God the Father. And you've now been restored in your relationship with God. I'm, I'm grateful that you're taking today this step of obedience. I'm grateful and look forward with anticipation at how your unique destiny is going to be fulfilled in the days and months and years ahead. To the parents and the grandparents, uh, the sons and the daughters, the family and the friends who are here to support and celebrate those on behalf of the church. I would just like to say I want to express sincere appreciation to all of you for the role that you have played in nurturing uh, the gospel living the gospel in, in light of uh, God's call on your life to these candidates. We're grateful. The Bible tells us that we can plant the seed of the gospel, we can water the seed, and only God gives the increase. But for your planting and your sowing and your cultivating and your watering of the good news in the lives of the people we're celebrating today, I want to say thank you. It's meaningful to God. Now Here's how it's going to work. I just want to say you you, you may not have ever been to a baptism quite like this before. And that's OK. Uh, the way it'll work is in a moment, we're going to pass the offering. And, and uh, as Ruth indicated, it'll be the time for you to drop in your completed connect card. We, we really value connecting with you. So fill that out if you haven't already. And then we're going to sing uh, like one song to give people who need a chance to change their clothes to go change quickly. And then we're going to reconvene back in here. And the kids are going to join us because there are three of our vineyard kids today getting baptized as well. Yeah, that is that is awesome. And then, then we're going to give each candidate an opportunity to introduce themselves and share a brief uh, story, if they'd like, a one-minute story. They don't have to. And since the number one fear of many people is speaking publicly in front of a group, people will pass, and that's totally fine. Their names will appear on the screen. And then, after they each have a chance to share... Uh, the band is going to kick it out because this is party time. This is celebration. And one by one, the candidates, let's start with the kids first because, you know, sometimes they get a little, you know, anxious or we're going to start and they'll they'll come up and then family and friends come up around the tank. If you're here if visiting as a guest, join, take pictures, shoot video, holler, whistle, clap, do whatever you do to celebrate, right? Because this is church and that's what church should be, a great celebration of God's goodness in our life. And we're just going to worship. And then after everybody has a chance to be baptized, they're going to go change their clothes quickly. And then at the end of the service, we're going to call them all up here in front. And we're going to lay our hands upon them because in the New Testament, one of the ways that blessing is conferred is through the laying on of hands. And we're going to ask that God fill them with the Holy Spirit. And you can join us in that prayer. You can surround the the family members or friends that you've come. And you just join in asking for more of God's goodness in their life. And then we're going to stay and eat really great desserts from Crack Pepper. Right over there, they're, they're standing right where Jeff and Lisa are kind of hovering right there. Because what's a party without food, right? Especially sweet food. So uh, that's what's going to happen. Let's pray. Right. God, we're just humbled and grateful for your goodness in our lives and in our church family and the lives of these 11. We say thank you. We realize, Lord, that uh, you are the giver of every good gift. We wouldn't have anything without you. Thank you, Lord, for for the powerful truth that we are loved by you, that we matter to you, and that we can trust you. And we, we, we thank you for the promise that your Holy Spirit is here, but we welcome your manifest presence now as we continue our worship through the giving of our gifts to you, uh, the singing of songs to you, and the joining with our brothers and sisters in celebration. Thank you in your name. Amen.